This is CliffCentral.com. Hello there. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Welcome to my opinion booth. Thank you for having me. Really excited about the next hour. All things Coco Demir. In studio with me today is this gorgeous lady with the gorgeous voice. And if you look at her, she's not your typical doctor. I mean, she is so stylish. She's got a, a, a natural look about her hair. and But she's beautifully made up, like ever so subtle. You are so elegant. I mean, you're not a typical conservative-looking doctor. Her name is Dr. Lusanda Shimange Matsu. So she's got a double-barrel surname. You know, because, you know <laughs> medical doctors can do that. But I mean, she's not just an MD. She's a gynecologist an obstetrician, that name is always a mouthful, right? Yeah. We're here to discuss the HPV vaccine. Yes. Vaginal steaming, vaginal bleaching, vaginal rejuvenation. Yes. Someone asked me, what is cocodemia? <laughs> Best to Google, look at the shape of cocodemia and you will see what it resembles. Dr. Lysander, welcome. Yes, Opinion brief. Thank you very much. First question. Mm. In simple English, because I know you doctors love these big words that one needs a dictionary. Even when you use a dictionary, you still need the description of the word that's been described in the dictionary. It, yeah. It's like it's not helping. Google at times doesn't help. Yeah. In simple English, what is HPV? Right. So HPV, okay, this is as big as medical I'm going to get with HPV. It stands for human papilloma virus. Okay. Okay. Human papilloma virus. So basically it's a sexually transmitted virus. Okay. Okay. And you get different types. There's a hundreds of different types of HPV, but, um, and you get high risk ones and you get low risk ones. So what does that mean for the, Person, lay person, if I can put it that way. The low risk ones are the ones that cause vaginal warts. Aha. Uh-huh. Right. And then the high risk ones, those are the ones that are precursors to cervical cancer and other cancers, but most importantly, cervical cancers. Sure. Well, and yeah. you just mentioned uh, genital warts as yes. a low risk. I mean, that in itself is like absolutely scary. I mean, Nobody yeah. wants to experience that. The thing is with vaginal warts, why I say it's low risk, because we know that the chances of becoming cancerous is very small. The problem with vaginal warts is that they can get infected. They can be uncomfortable because they can grow really, really big. You can go from just having a small wart to having a whole lot of warts in your vulva area. It becomes uncomfortable. It becomes embarrassing for the patient. It does nothing for their sexual self-esteem or their self-esteem per se. So that's why the reason why we say low risk in, in, in medical terms, when you say low risk is um, the chances of them getting malignant. I see. Mm. It becoming can- cancerous. cancerous yes. that, that's a different ballgame altogether. Yes. I mean, yes. the C word is scary for anybody. Right. right? Mm. This topic was brought on by a friend of mine, Jackie Bishop. Um, uh, our sons uh, play soccer together. They're in school together. She's got a, a daughter and a boy. And uh, she sent me this uh, voice note. If we can just listen to it, and uh, I'm going to ask you a question after that. That's fine. Hi, Sonia. I'd just like to ask the doctor that you're bringing in um, a few questions regarding the cervical cancer vaccination for children. I have a 10-year-old little girl and 
the research is very confusing out there. It ranges from the girls being vaccinated from 11 years old and upwards. Some other information indicate it should be nine years old. I'm not able to find a lot of side effects of the vaccine and I'm just worried because um, I'm getting a, two different viewpoints. Um, some saying go ahead and vaccinate. There's a certain type of vaccine that only works on girls. And then different researchers saying there's vaccines for boys and girls. My daughter's 10 years old. My son is 13. And I just like more information before I make this decision. Should we go ahead and vaccinate? Is there any medical evidence that um, there are side effects? I've heard of encephalitis. Is that a myth or is it a possible side effect? If I could please just get more clarity on the dis on this topic so that I can make a very informed decision. Thank you. Dr. Lissander, the decision yeah. can be daunting and nerve-wracking for parents. How would you respond to, to Jackie? Um, well, thanks, Jackie, for the voice note. And I can tell you right now, you're not the only mom out there who's actually got um, this type of question. You're not the only woman out there. So um, before I actually go into the HPV vaccine per se, um, what we need to ask ourselves is why do we vaccinate? Why do we vaccinate or immunize our kids when they are babies and going forward? And the reason why we do it is because there will be a disease process that is severe enough to have an impact on the population at large. Right. So, I mean, polio was eradicated through vaccination. Right. Yes. So that, that's what you need to look at as to why do you vaccinate? Yes. And then secondly, HPV vaccine, what are we vaccinating against? Right. Yes. We're vaccinating against a virus that causes cervical cancer. So that is cancer of the mouth of the womb. Why is it important? I mean, people are getting cancers all the time. Why specifically this one? Well, what you must know is that it's the second biggest killer of females worldwide and the first biggest in Africa. Wow. We do have screening programs, your pap smears. That's why you go for your pap smears. But the problem with that is that not everyone has an, has access to a pap smear. Yes. And by the time they do have pap smears, possibly the disease process may already be there. Right. Well. Okay. <laughs> okay. So that is just a bit of background as to why we vaccinate. Yes. Right. Is to prevent a, a disease severe enough. So now the HPV vaccine. And I completely understand where Jackie is coming from because we get these questions all the time as to why, why, why. But then there's side effects and then kids got sick and so forth. And my, my daughter's only 10 years old. She's not even sexually active. So why am I even vaccinating her against a sexually transmitted um, virus? The problem no, not the problem really. The issue with the vaccination is that, or with any vaccination, you have side effects. Right? Yes. You have those very common side effects. When I say very common, I'm saying one in ten women or people who have the vaccination will have a side effect. And then you get the one in hundred, one in one thousand, one in one hundred thousand. So with the one in ten, very common. So those are stuff like injection site irritation. 
pain, some um, headaches. People have had fainting spells. So there is um, directions as to how the vaccination should be given. Then you get the really rare ones. And then the ones that they actually stipulate on the um, the information pamphlet are the ones where when they were doing the studies, when while they were developing the vaccine, is stuff that they observed. Then there is rare, extremely rare ones, which don't really happen. Maybe it's one in every 100,000. But remember, nothing is 100%. I can't say to someone, no, your child will not have a reaction or will not have side effects to the vaccine. But what I can say is that without the vaccine, you are increasing your chance, your, your, your child's chances of getting a cancer. Yes. Does that make sense? Makes sense. So in terms, and if there are side effects and, you know, drug companies really do take, they don't take this very lightly when there's a side effect. It needs to be reported. So if you are worried, all this will be communicated to you. And should anyone experience some sort of side effect, it gets reported back to the drug company. If they see that it's actually a very common side effect that's causing fatality or extreme morbidity, in other words, really decreasing the um, person's quality of life, then they can actually withdraw the drug. Drugs have been withdrawn before because in the preliminary studies, all the side effects were not experienced. The, the assumption is that this vaccine is only for girls, but fact is boys are also recommended to take this. You don't need to be a parent to listen to this conversation, yeah. by the way, because mm. we all have got children, nieces, um, nephews, sisters, brothers, daughters, sons, etc. When I was doing research for the show, I mean, because I wanted to enlighten myself yeah. and educate myself because I needed to know a little bit about it so that I can engage you in, in order for you to further Educate and enlighten us on this uh, topic because I'm a parent as well, for, yeah. uh, you know, with two boys, and the the, the uh, fact that we need to be considering this vaccine, even though they're boys. I mean, it's it's not an easy decision that myself and my husband are going to have to make, but it's something that we need to consider. So I came across an article with the headline: "It's official, HPV vaccine the most dangerous vaccine yet." The article reads, the genetically engineered vaccine first introduced for max, uh, mass vaccination around 10 years ago has been delivered to around 80 million girls, women, and in some countries, boys. By August 2014, 58 countries had introduced the vaccine into their immunization schedules. According to the World Health Organization, WHO, 80% of all cases of cervical cancer are linked to HPV. The key justification for giving the vaccine to young girls occur in developing countries and are linked to sexual, uh, sexual encounters at a very at, at a very young age. There has been reports of adverse drug reactions uh, ranging from uh, headaches, dizziness, fatigue, and temporary loss of consciousness, mm-hmm. and a few others that you've um, mm-hmm. alluded to earlier. So now. Why has the emphasis been on girls receiving this vaccine and not so much on boys? That's my first question. And would you personally opt to vaccinate your sons? Because you, you have two boys. Yeah. yeah. What is the reasoning behind boys getting this vaccine if they are not at risk of getting cervical cancer? So now, okay, so that's a threefold question. So the first part is why girls and not boys? Yes. 
So there are some countries where boys are also getting vaccinated. Yes. But when you're going to give a vaccine, you need to look at the population which is at most risk. Right. And right now it is the female um, population yes. in terms of cervical cancer. Yes. Right. And you also have to look at the resources of the specific population. The reason why I say that, you know, and with all these um, vaccinations and all that, it, it becomes a, can the country afford it? Yes. So now you need to ask yourself, how many females do we have in the country between the age of 9 and 14 years old? Right. Yes. And we need to roll out this vaccine. How many boys do we have? Does it make financial sense? And I'm sorry to bring the um, finance into this, but does it make financial sense for a developing country to target a group that is not really the most at risk versus the group that's most at risk? I hear you. Okay. And let's take H- HIV. Can I just quickly just yes, quickly touch it. on this? Yes. Initially, when HIV, um, HIV medication was rolled out in the country, it was only for a certain group. They worked on CD4 counts. Okay. Right. In terms of if you've got a CD4 count of a certain amount, then you can get, and I'm talking about the public sector, yes. right? Then you can get ARVs, right? And then it's been changing, it's been changing because now we've got more, we've got more money to play with, if I can put it that <laughs> Not to play with, but now we can act, we can afford to do it. Yes. So now the ARV rollout is basically for everyone, right? We're not working on CD4 counts anymore. So, I think in this country there will be a time where we can be in a position where it can be rolled out to boy, to both boys and girls. It's just that at the moment, because it's still in its early phases, remember other countries have been doing it for long and now we're getting even, we're getting reports in different countries about how the, um, HPV um, infection has come down in certain countries via the vaccine and so forth. So we're still very new at this. We're still very young. And as we progress, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, um, evolving, um, thing. So I'm sure we're going to get to a point where boys can be, um, vaccinated in terms of a rollout. Okay. All right. Yes. So, right. So that's that. In terms of my boys and why girls and boys also is that HPV does not only cause cervical cancer. It also causes penile cancer. Oh wow. Jeez. It also causes Anal cancer. So actually, when the HPV vaccine came out initially, they were um, giving it to um, men who have sex with men. Uh-huh. Right. That was also a target group. All right. So, but the, 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 the chances of penile and anal cancer or the rates of penile and anal cancer is not as much as cervical cancer. Hence, the girls. And not the boys. I see. Right. So would I at this stage or when my boys are older vaccinate them? It's something that I would visit. It's something that I would consider. Right. Because remember also, you know, when guys carry this vaccine, this, this virus and they transmit it to our girls, right? Yeah. It's a sexually transmitted mm, disease mm. and there does not have to be any penetration in order to get the virus. Your scary stuff. <laughs> it, you know, it, it, it's scary when you're hearing it for the first time. Mm. But obviously for me, it's like, yes, this is what we do. Do you know what I mean? But I just, uh, you know, to any mother who's listening out there or father, I don't want you to think the HPV vaccine is the worst thing ever. 
Right. Those rare side effects that they talk about, you've got a high chance of being hit by a truck on the highway if you're crazy enough to, co- to cross the highway. Okay. <laughs> and then to get those, um, what do you call it? Then to get those side effects. Right. And remember, when we take our babies for immunization, the sister at the clinic will always say, please just watch out for this. If he gets a fever, yes. you must have your neurofen there and so yes. forth. This is what they're talking about. Hmm. Okay. Well, and, and then there was something else. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, because I asked her, uh, why would boys need to oh, have this okay. vaccine if, yes, if so they're the not risk of cervical, cervical cancer? But you, you've already yeah. mentioned anal and, and penile, penile cancers. Which yeah. is, I mean, that I've never heard of. I mean, am, am I the only one that hasn't heard of? No, I don't think you're the only one. It's just something that's not really spoken it's not uh, it's, it's not out there do you know what i mean because people will talk about things that affect if it's a public health you're issue right. you're right cervical cancer is a public health issue you're right penile and anal cancer is not so much a public health issue as cervical cancer some studies, and this is a scary topic, but I mean, it's, it's not going to stay this gloomy. So if, you, if you're listening in right now, uh, believe you me, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to get lighter towards the end. Um, I just wanted for us to get the scary mm-hmm. horror movie type of, you know, conversations out of the way, and then we're going to lighten it up towards the end. Some studies, articles, and comments insinuate that this vaccine actually causes problems more than it solves. Mm-hmm. That's the consensus out there. I mean, all the recent that I did over the weekend, I think there were more people who are who were actually just making the decision that I'm not going to subject my kids to this. And apparently, this vaccine contains aluminium, a known neurotoxin. Hmm. And one parent commented, "Pediatricians and other med- and other <laughs> medical professions. Oh, English, it's never it's loyal." <laughs> Pediatricians and other medical professionals need to start speaking up and standing up for their patients, especially the youngest amongst us. When you consider all the facts, aluminum exposure risks and HPV vaccine side effects far overshadow any possible benefit of these vaccines. This is a parent commenting. Some parents have reported mood swings, joint and muscle pain, autism, lupus. Multiple sclerosis, encephalitis. Am I pronouncing it cro- uh, correctly? Encephalitis. Encephalitis. Medical score. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> premature ovarian failure, also mm. known as premature, premature menopause. Amenorrhea. Mm. Absence of, menis- of, of menstruation. menstruation. What is your opinion on all of this? I mean, you know, you, you don't want to be knowingly putting all these toxins in your body if if this is known to have you know aluminium in it i mean surely you don't want to subject your child to such chemicals you know okay so now how do i put this because i don't want to seem as if i'm advocating for the drug companies right but i'm really speaking as a health practitioner i'm speaking about what i see yes right and um what we read out there and um, in terms of the element, remember the HPV vaccine is made in a lab, right? But also in different countries, there's different bodies that have to um, pass a certain drug if it's going to be used in humans or even animals, right? The FDA, 
Center for Disease Control in the States, you know. So before something is actually launched, no one makes a, a vaccine in their backyard and goes and injects it on a whole lot of people. It has to get approval. Okay. And to get that approval, and yes, I'm probably going to be biting my words because we get drugs that are, are, are recalled. Right. Yes. It has to be passed by these certain bodies. So in terms of, I must admit, in terms of the aluminium and so forth, I have not really come across that. I, I will have to go back and see what I'm reading in, you know, and in terms of the other side effects, I, I want to pay particular attention to autism. Yes. Where right now there's a huge rah-rah, don't immunize your child, your children because they're going to get autism and so forth. But I'm like, but I don't want my child to get polio. Right. I don't want my child to get mumps. I don't want my child to get measles. I don't want my child to get cervical cancer. And if I can do everything to prevent that, then why not? Do you understand? And yes. I think as a parent, at the end of the day, no parent, no, no, no health professional is going to force you to have the vaccine. You need to decide. And obviously you make, you need to make a decision from a position of being well informed. And yes. I'm hoping when people leave, um, stop, well, at the end of the show, we'll actually be more informed. In terms of things like premature ovarian failure and SLE and amenorrhea, before we blame it on the vaccine, we need to investigate as to why this person has this. You know, is there documented proof that it actually causes this? Because if someone comes to me and says, my child is not having her menstruation, has never had a menstruation. But what I know is that at nine years old, she had the HPV vaccine and now she is 13, no menstruation. I'm like, OK, cool. Take a history, examine the patient and imperforate hymen. Has nothing to do with the vaccine. It's just a structural thing mm-hmm. which we can fix. Right. Okay. Then you ask yourself, maybe she's older and is there any other medication that she's getting? And we know some of our psychiatric drugs can cause amenorrhea. Uh-huh. Right. Premature ovarian insufficiency. You know, does she have a collagen disease? Does she have rheumatoid arthritis? You know, does she have problem with her thyroid? So there's so many things that can cause all these things that you've mentioned. But I think because, the, you know, the HPV vaccine was a new, relatively new thing and... Now, you know, you always blame it on the new kid on the block. I hear you. But if any, if, and, and, and I do want to say this, that if anyone is thinking of vaccinating their children, because remember, you have to sign a consent form. Yes. The other day at my son's school, we had to sign consent form from the measles vaccine because yes. of the outbreak and yes. so forth. Do you know what I mean? So you have to sign a consent form. But before you sign it, you need to speak to your GP or your gynecologist. Please don't speak to Google. <laughs> do not speak to Google or Wikipedia or Wikipedia. Do not speak to Wikipedia. Speak to your GP. Lord help me. <laughs> speak to your GP. Speak to your clinic sister. Speak to your gynecologist or speak to my first gynae. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Because we will give you that information and it's so important. But also know that disease process is so variable and there could be so many causes. Does that make sense? Makes to perfect everyone? sense. I mean, it's, it's information <laughs> overload, but we need to be hearing all of this in yeah. order to make informed decisions because that, that's essentially what, what this 
show Yeah What we're discussing today I'm hoping to walk away from You know our session today think, with, with so much more information So that when I sit down with Matthew I can give him the pros and cons And, and give him your feedback And your yeah. opinion on, on the subject And then hopefully make a decision Because you know yeah. We are parents that need to be signing you know, That consent form And and I think And I was actually quite excited When you invited me to come and speak about this Because I've got a lot of friends Who are not in the medical field Who've got daughters Who've got sons And believe it or not This may sound very boring But sometimes around the dinner table We start discussing these things Because yes. you know we, we were bringing up the future World leaders and so forth You know And you want to give your kids The best that you can And if you're not equipped To give that information As a parent then you might make an emotional decision, you know. Yes. And the fortunate, the, the nice thing about visiting a health practitioner is that we're not making em- emotional decisions. We're giving you evidence-based decisions based on what we see. But to remember, nothing is 100%. We didn't know we are going to make it here today when we left home, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> but we here. Yeah, that, that, yeah that, that is, that is, that is, that is a fact. And, you know, it, this seems to be more of an issue in the U.S. And I mean, we know that, um, well, my understanding is that lupus and autism in particular, you, you have a high percentage of cases of lupus and autism in the States. Am I, am I correct in saying that? So, yeah, you, you are correct in saying that. But in terms, and also with that, it's, it's the pickup rate. You know, guys, there's such a difference between first world countries and third world countries. Do you know what I mean? In first world countries, they've got all these resources to do. They've got a, a specific lupus clinic, support groups, everything. Do you do you suffer from these sort of signs and symptoms? Visit your health practitioner. You could have. And it's just about creating awareness. And awareness programs do very well in first world countries because they're funded, right? Yes. Whereas with us, you first have to prove that actually this disease process is actually a problem. Look at HIV, for instance. Look at breast cancer. We do, you know, in terms of awareness, we do very well in the country yes. because it's a burden. It's a problem, right? So people be willing to fund those awareness problems. We programs. Gonna, <laughs> we're going to play another voice note uh, mm. from, from Clipsile who also has a daughter and a son and she's needing to make a decision pronto because her girl needs to be vaccinated as in yesterday. Okay. I did some research on HPV to inform my decision whether to vaccinate my children or not. HPV infection is very common. In fact, most people, about 9 in 10, will get the infection at some point in their lives. These infections can cause a number of health problems, including genital warts and several kinds of cancer for both men and women. There are safe and effective vaccines recommended to prevent these health problems. I read upon some of the side effects and I found that the common ones include pain, redness or swelling in the arm where the shot was given, fever, headache or feeling tired, nausea, um, and on very rare occasions, severe allergic reactions may occur after the vaccinations. And there's also reports of um, deep vein thrombosis and a rare neurological disorder. If there's any chance of preventing cancer, which is vaccinating, I will most definitely try it. For me, that's the bottom line. Inasmuch as cervical cancer is quite rare and preventable in females who get regular pap smears, 
My grandmother died of cervical cancer, and so it's closer to home for me. So yes, I think my children should get the HPV vaccination. Doctor, would you say it is easier for Lopsila to make the decision to vaccinate, considering her grandmother died from cervical cancer? Yes, definitely. When you know when a disease process has touched home, um, and you see, you know, when you see, she probably, I mean, she's speaking from point of she saw what her grandmother went through, right? And because of that, and you know, and I'm listening to the voice note, she's obviously done her research and you saw me nodding as she's speaking, like, yes, 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 I do agree with you. So it will always be easier for someone who's actually experienced it firsthand with be it a family member or a friend and so forth, you know. So I think definitely, most definitely it will be easier. And I like what she said about, um, it can be preventable. If you go for regular pap smears. Yes. Right. Um, I remember giving a talk and I held up a speculum and I asked the audience, I'm like, do any of you know what this is? And then someone says, the speculum. And I'm like, good. Do you know what it's for? And it's like, no, it's to look at your vagina and your cervix. I'm like, good. And what else? And then there was a bit of silence in the room. And it's like, no, we do pap smears. Do you know why we do pap smears? Right. The problem with that is that we've got screening programs. There's screening programs all over the world, but it's just about the reach. For me and you, we can go to and get a pap smear every year. But I want you to think about someone who's out there. I always give. In um, Kohamstad. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Because <laughs> I was going to say something. Else. And it was like, why are you always taking out that place? Anyways. Yes. Right. Who don't have access to pap smears. And the HPV vaccine could be the only hope of preventing them from getting this disease. So, I mean, and it's not to say once you've had your HPV vaccine, you should not continue with your pap smears, right? You still need to, but we need to start at grassroot level. And grassroot level is our kids before they become sexually active. And how many parents know that their teenage kids are sexually active? I just want to throw that one out there. Mm, we're going to come. We're <laughs> going to come to that actually because there's, there's there's been debate. I mean, there is so much information out there. There's so much, you know, contradiction, and it it, it makes the decision to vaccinate or not to vaccinate that much harder because. There's, I mean, you, you getting, you know, com- com- competing sides from all angles. And like I said, and I will always reiterate that it's not going to be an easy decision no. to make because as a parent, that the burden for you to make a decision, because at the end of the day, should we decide to vaccinate? And then, you know, years later, boys, um, you know, question us as to why, why did, did you, you make the decision to vaccinate or not to vaccinate? We want to be in a position to defend our decision to yes, say, yes. listen, you know, we were informed about such and such and such. We knew about the side effects. But at the end of the day, the pros far outweighed the cons, vice versa, however way you want to look at it. So, I mean... Interestingly enough, the World Health Organization has found that the death rate from cervical cancer is actually 2.5 times lower than the very serious complications and side effects documented from the HPV vaccine. In some parts of the world, HPV vaccine risks are as much as four times higher than the cervical cancer death rate. So, 
I'm reading this, you know, on, on, on the internet as a mother, you know, I don't have any medical background. And I'm thinking if the World Health Organization is, has, has, you know, decided on this fact or they know this to be fact, why are we even discussing this vaccination? You know, moreover, these vaccines are expensive. If you are going the private healthcare route, I mean, Gadisil and Cerevix, Cerevix cost between 700 and 1,000 rand per dose and you need three doses. That's a lot of money. Is the public health care system fully equipped and ready to roll out this immunization schedule thoroughly? I mean, you touched on it earlier, but I mean, if I'm one of, if I don't have an option, if, if the local clinic is under stocked, understaffed, yeah. under resourced, and I'm having to go via my medical aid and looking at the mm. amount of money that I'm having to, to spend, there's hardly any motivation for me to, to go and vaccinate my kids, especially when you see what the World Health Organization has, 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 has put out there. So, I mean, it, I'm very confused. Can I be controversial? Please do. <laughs> we, I, I'm, I don't mind controversy at all <clears throat> if it's going to get us talking. Okay. So, I'm going to give you a very funny example. My kids had eczema when they were babies. They're still babies, but anyways. And I remember phoning my mom and I was like, yo, mama, these products that I have to buy for your grandkids, do you know how much they cost? And do not my mom say to me, how much do your nails cost? (laughs) How much does your hair cost? Mm. That shoe that you're wearing, how much does it cost? When you go out with your friends, how much do you spend? And it got me thinking is that we make a decision to have kids or maybe we don't, right? And, and we make a decision to look after those kids and to protect them against everything. Those stats, I'm not so sure because the, the mortality rate from cervical cancer is high. It's, it's definitely high. Yes. It's definitely high. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure about those stats, but it's fine. Let's leave the stat, let's leave the death rate out of it. Yes. Let's bring in morbidity. Okay. What does morbidity mean? Morbidity means you present with stage three cancer or stage four cancer and you have to have radiation and the side effects from the radiation and getting sick and the physical effects where you get vaginal stenosis. Wow. Right? What is that? Basically your vagina closes up, right? You get radiation proctitis. Wow. Right. And I'm not trying to scare anyone. I'm not trying to bully anyone into giving the HPV vaccine. But the point I'm trying to make is that it's not just about, oh, only, I think you said two point something. Two point five. Yeah. Die from cervical cancer, which I I, I don't really agree with that. But anyways, let's just say it is 2.5, right? Okay. But how about everything else in between? How about everything else in between? Let's say it's an early stage cancer, right? Then you need to get operated on. Right. Then you must recover from the operation. Do you understand? Yeah. So there's everything else in, in, in between. And if you calculate the amount that you're paying for the vaccine, you say, it's, uh, actually, to be honest, I don't, I'm not so sure what the price is, but you say it's 700 per shot. Yes. Right. And then let's take the amount of money you'll spend looking after someone with cancer. Good point. Right. Then that amount that you're paying is negligible. But I mean, remember, you and I are in a better position to pay 700 rands times three, right? Yes. 
there's not many people that can afford medical aid out there. I mean, no, I don't even true. know the stats, but I, I stand to be corrected. It's probably 30%. If probably even lower people lower who have medical that. aids, but that's why there's there's a there's a national campaign to do the rollout. So parents aren't paying for it. Government is paying for it. Our taxes are paying for it. Our taxes are paying for it. But I mean, you know, we we have local clinics. I'm from Pimville, and you know, there's there's a, cl- a close um, clinic there, which mm. I, I I wouldn't even bother. I mean, yeah. it's, 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 it's a joke. Actually. But these are the things that we need to hear about is that, you know what? I've got a clinic down the road, but they never have this. They never have that. They never have that. Do you know what I mean? Cause, and you, you know, I, I work in the public sector. We do take stuff like that seriously as to why don't we have this in this clinic? Can we make an arrangement for this to be there? Yeah, right. so, I mean, uh, yeah, it's scary out there because I mean we all know that certain uh, clinics only issue panado. They'll even give you panado for meningitis. They'll give you panado for pneumonia. They'll give you panado for a broken leg. I mean, anyway, that's a story for another day. Let me not let me let me not even bother with with, with that topic because it's exhausting actually. Yeah. Some are even arguing that this vaccine will encourage promiscuity yeah. because it protects against STDs. What is your opinion on that? So, um. Basically, right, and I always say this to patients, is that when you come and um, and see me and I diagnose you with a problem, I can basically, I can stop, I can give you medication to treat you, but I can't come home with you and um, and put the medication in your mouth. Does that make sense? Makes sense. Right. So now, in terms of the vaccination, will it encourage promiscuity? Then isn't putting condoms in public places encouraging promiscuity? Good point. Do you know what I mean? Because we know that condoms prevent STDs. Yes. Right. So my thing is, isn't that going to um, promote promiscuity? And at the end of the day, we also have a role as parents. You know, you need to teach your kids that listen, when you do this, this is what's going to happen. These are the consequences. These are the consequences. It's like stealing. If you're going to go and be a thief, you're going to go to jail. That is just the way it is. So, yes, I'm going to um, give you the HPV vaccine, right, to prevent your chances of getting cervical cancer. But I can't actually stop you from going to have sex. Does that make sense? I, I can't stop you, but I can equip you. I can equip you in terms of preventing your chances of getting side effects of sex, if I can put it that way. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's like contraception. You get teenagers who are scared to go to the clinic because mm. they're going to be told off. Why are you taking contraception at such a young age? Yes. But you know what? If I'm giving you contraception and it's going to prevent a teenage pregnancy, I'd rather do that knowing that you're equipped to face the big bad world out there. Well, it's, <laughs> parenthood is hard. Faint hearted. It is hard. You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, the next thing that I wanted, uh, uh, to, to, to touch on. Yeah. I read, um, a newspaper article that this is now my trying to lighten up this conversation yeah. because it's, it's, it's gotten gloomy. It did. Hey? But it, we had it to did. go we there because to. we, we, we can't avoid to. such conversations, right? No. So I read a newspaper article on Sunday about these new apps. 
The one is called Girls Plastic Surgery Doctor. The other one is Plastic Surgery Simulator App. I know you've been in in theater with your with your dad because your dad is also a, a, a gynecologist. I mean, I, I I'm I'm in awe the fact that you could be in an operating theater with your dad. It, it's it's an incredible thing, and yeah. there's very few women that can say that. Yeah. I mean, that father daughter relationship and the fact that you went on and made him proud and followed in his career, you know, foot footpaths. As I can see you blushing now, and I know your dad is absolutely super proud. So I'm, I'm marvel at that. So now, bearing in mind that you, you know, you're in theater every Thursday, right? Yeah. You call it Theater Thursdays? Yes. Yeah. So with these apps, would you consider downloading these uh, apps if you had a girl child? I would consider doing it because I need to know what's out there. Okay. I recently went to a congress and we're speaking to this, um, she's a gynecologist, but she deals with adolescent gynae. Which I absolutely love because I love like this conversation that we just had now. Yes. You know, to have it with the girls because with me, nothing is off limits. Like we get down and dirty and we talk about it. I love that. You know, so it's something I'll download to know what's out there. I need to know if I had girls what they're reading. Right. Because I mean, with the whole social media thing, how much control do we really have as parents? Yes. You may block the phone and so forth, but you know what? There's a friend whose phone is unblocked. So they are seeing these things. So I need to see what girls out there are seeing. And as a gynecologist as well, because I get mothers who come and speak to me and they're like, I'm so worried about my daughter, this, this, that, that. And I always say, thanks, mommy. Bring her. Let me talk to her. Because chances are she is scared to talk to you. Yes. So let me talk to her and see what's actually going on. And you'll be surprised the type of things that, you know, come out. But it is a back to this Congress. Um, I'm just telling us the teenagers now are wanting to have vaginal rejuvenation surgery because they don't like the way their vagina looks and so forth. And we're all like, seriously, has it gotten to that age now? You know, because it's normally older women who've had kids and so forth and things aren't really as tight as they used to be. (laughs) And they want to, you know, Mm. so teenagers are. So, yes, I'll definitely download. Just because curiosity killed the cat. Okay. <laughs> okay. On on the subject of the female reproductive system, yeah. a cousin of mine, I'm not going to expose her by <laughs> mentioning her name because I love her to bits and I don't want to put her out there. Now, she's got this thing, right? She puts a few drops of liquid paraffin in her bath and she soaks. She swears this will guarantee smooth and glowing skin, especially the legs. Is it okay to expose your cocodemia, as I call it, to such chemicals? Because I mean, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to soak in liquid paraffin. I mean, we use paraffin to cook, you know, back in the olden days with the prama stove. So if I'm putting paraffin in my prama stove to cook, why would I want to soak in a bathtub? With few drops of liquid paraffin I mean, please tell me the repercussions I mean, what that does to your cocodemia Okay, so now there is paraffin The yes. one that we cook with And yes. then there's liquid paraffin I Which see. is used for, if you like, constipated and so forth Which oh. is actually an oil Oh, right So, if she is putting paraffin The one we cook with Please, girl, do not Okay So she must stop It's, it's a corrosive substance And it will hurt you yes. But if it's the oil 
right? And it's just a few drops. Chances are, look, it won't do anything. I mean, how much bubble bath do people put in their baths and those bath ball, um, balls and everything else so that they can have that glowing skin? Yes. Do you understand? Yes. And, and soaking in a bath, look, a lot of people soak in a bath. For me, water is just a mere, a mere function to just get clean. I don't, maybe it's because I actually don't have time to actually just soak in the bath without my kids going, mama, mama, <laughs> you know, so I don't even consider that. But I think just on the whole soaking bath thing, I think it's very um, important as to what you are putting in. Yes. Make sure it's not a corrosive substance. Yes. That, and that will actually... Your, did, what is that? Coca de mer. Coca de mer. Right? Yes. That will actually irritate, cause irritation there. Yes. Right? Or even better yet, if you've got sensitive skin and it irritates that. Mm, and she has eczema. So, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it gets very interesting. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure yeah. she's going to be listening to this. I'm sure. <laughs> you, you touched on vaginal rejuvenation yes. already. I mean, it's a massive industry. I mean, people are making money out there to try and, you know, rejuvenate, you know, they cock a together. <laughs> what are your thoughts on vaginal steaming? Is this something that you would recommend for somebody to do? Or rather not. You know, I think before anything, I would ask someone, why do you want to steam your vagina? I want to first know. Why do you want to steam? What are you trying why, why to Why do you steam your face? Right, to open up your pores. Okay, so are there no pores to open? So let me tell you something about the vagina. I always say, guys, there's the brain, there's the brain, and there's the vagina. Right. Okay. Vagina... Brilliant organ. It cleanses itself. Aha. Uh-huh. It stretches. I mean, come on, a baby's head comes through there. Oh my word. I'm it glad I didn't have to go through that both boys C section. So I, what you're talking about now is, it's foreign to me. And it receives. Mm-hmm. It's a sexual organ. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. And I want to go back to it cleanses itself. So there is normal Bacteria, if I can put it that way, because if I say commensals, then I'm getting hectic. But normal people, little things that stay in your vagina to protect your vagina, the soldiers of your vagina. Uh-huh. And what do we know about abnormal bacteria? It will thrive in a warm environment. Uh-huh. Right. So if you're going to put steam there, first of all, you're going to burn. <laughs> Let's just start there. You are going to Burn your vulva. You're going to burn your labia. You're going to burn your. Per- You're just going to burn. Steam is hot. So rather not. Just so don't. Just your vagina can take care of itself, ladies. Okay. okay, got you, got you. During my research, I also came across procedures such as labiaplasty, femilift, neovaginoplasty, thermiva, clat. Clitoro, oh my word, clitoroplasty, <laughs> etc. I mean, what is going on? I mean, have I been living under a rock? No, you haven't. <laughs> and do you know what the sad part about this is that these type of surgeries have been actually been done for years. Yes. We just, they have different names and now we've just given them fancy names. Yes. Labiaplasty, you know. Yes. You know, we are working on your labia. So now there's the medical part of it. And with, with plastic surgery, there's the medical part and then there's the cosmetic part. Yes. So the reconstructive part, the um, cosmetic side. Yes. So in terms of the medical side, 
Right. Um, let's talk about genital mutilation in females. Okay. Right. And you get different grades of genital mutilation. And and um, when you see a female who's been, a, I don't say victim because sometimes it's just normal practices for other um, cultures. Yes. But she's been a person who's underwent genital mutilation mm. and now she just wants to open up. Right. And you can you can say that's rejuvenation, right? Yes. Because you're going to cut down there to make her have a normal vulva, as normal as we think it is. Yes. Right. And in terms of labia, sometimes you get prolapse, right, of your uterus. You get prolapse of your bladder. That's all. Because remember, ladies, the vagina is the canal. The vulva is where the lips and everything are. Yes. Right. So if you've got prolapse of things into your vagina, then we go there and we operate and we fix it. We just put everything back into place. Right. If someone's had um, vaginal delivery and had episiotomy where they cut you and maybe it wasn't sutured properly and that person has painful sex, then you can actually go back there and release so that it's not too, um, it's not too painful because of the, the way it has healed. Uh huh. Do you understand? Yes. So it's just fancy names. But now there's also a trend towards, I don't like the way my vagina looks. I don't like the way this looks. Yes. You know? And actually, no one's vagina looks the same. <laughs> How many women have actually stood on top of a mirror and looked at what their vagina looks like? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But we also know as females, you need to have that sexual confidence, right? You're right. So if you've, I mean, people have plastic surgery all the time. True. And now the plastic surgery has just moved to the vagina. Hmm. You know? And, and, and heaven knows, I mean, <laughs> the limits. Are there ever going to be any limits? Do you understand? You know, I need to ask you the side effects of vaginal bleaching. Because that's another trend. Yes. So with vaginal bleaching, um, it really depends on what is in the product that you're using. Yes. Right. And it could be a product that actually will cause irritation. Because remember, the skin in your vulva area is very sensitive. Yes. So what product is in there? So it's so important to read the ingredients in terms of before you're going to do um, to vaginal bleach. Because now once something becomes a trend, then everyone's doing it. And there's a lot of over-the-counter products Right, which could have adverse effects. You could get irritation. You could burn your skin there because the product is just too strong. Mm. Remember, the skin on your face and the skin on your feet and the skin in your vagina ain't the same. Honey. You're right. It's very Mm-mm. sensitive. <laughs> think about it when you go waxing. You're you're right. Well, yeah, you're right. I haven't. Uh, I don't. I don't think it's something that I would consider because I mean, it's it's it's. It's painful just to do, you know, your, to shape your eyebrows, you know? Right. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to go down that route. So mm. you, you've mentioned earlier that uh, a vagina cleanses itself. I don't, I, I need to get used to the saying the word out. That's why I've been using cocodemia because I have a problem, you know, I haven't really absorbed yeah. or, or made peace with you know, saying vagina, 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 vagina. <laughs> but I'm sure I'm not the only woman out there. If, if, if you're scared like me to call it what it is, just say my cocodemia, 
like I said, look at the picture of, you know, how uh, the cockatoo is shaped and then you'll understand why I like using that. So no more intimate washing gels. Is that what you're saying? Listen, even those intimate washing gels, fact of the matter is the vagina, vagina, vagina. It's actually in our anatomy textbooks. It says vagina. Yes. So it's actually a medical term. Yes. Forget cockadimere. Yeah. Vagina. Um, the thing is with a vagina, it's got a certain pH level, a certain acid base balance, if I can put it that way. In yes. other words, it's got its own environment. Yes. Now don't go and mess with that environment. Mm. Right. Unless something is water based. Right. So those intimate gels and so forth, you know, you can. I'm not saying don't use it because a lot of people do have issues with vaginal dryness and they need that bit of, you know, um, help. Fine. But just know that it can cause vaginal irritation. It can predispose you to getting vaginal discharges. Okay. Mm. And it actually may end up making, have, um, making sex painful for you because now you've De- you, you've interfered with the architecture of the vagina, if I can put it that way. And the pH balance. And the you, pH balance. Yeah. Yeah. So to be honest, I'd rather say no. But then with that being said, I did, I was at a certain pharmacy yesterday and I went to that aisle and I took a picture of it to see what's actually out there. And the thing is, the products are out there. Do you mm. know what I mean? But my thing with anything that you're going to use, you need to know the repercussions of hmm. thereof. Yeah. yeah, I know English. <laughs> <laughs> it's not loyal sometimes. Last question. Yeah. Would you consider donating your body for plastination for medical research? Um, I think that would not even, I would consider donating organs. Not your entire body? Not my entire body. And the only reason why I am saying that. Is because there is family to consider. Okay. Right. Okay. There is family to consider. And I can tell you right now, if I go back home and I'm like, love, you know what? I've actually been doing a lot of thinking. He would look at me like I'm smoking some cheap <laughs> drugs. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> what would be the difference between, I mean, personally, I've opted to be cremated. Yes. So instead of getting cremated, why shouldn't I consider donating my body for medical research? Like, do do to get yeah. my point? No, I understand. Um, I think with cremation, there's closure. Okay. There's closure for your family. Okay. And I think, I mean, even cremation is to, like to some families is a bit taboo. You know, in some families, when you're like, I'm going to get cremated, but <laughs> no, we are, we, we are going to bury you. Do you understand? So I think it's more closure more than anything. But I mean, there are people who don't mind donating to medical research and stuff, and which is admirable. It really is. But I think it's not a decision which you can just take lightly by yourself. I think you'd need to consider those who you're going to be leaving behind. Yeah, true. But I mean, you know, you know bearing in mind that um, in order for surgeons to be trained fully and properly and thoroughly, they they need people to donate their bodies in yeah. order for them to to it's fully know how the human body you know the anatomy and all of that yeah no true i mean i remember in our second year and we're having our anatomy dissection class and there were a whole lot of cadavers basically it's a whole lot of bodies which have been embalmed and you know we're um, dissecting those and going through all the organs and one thing that really came across i was like okay but is this someone's father? Is this someone's m- mother? 
you know. And the sad part about it is there are those bodies that don't get claimed. Hmm. And then you know? do can those then be just be donated? Yeah, I think they just go through processes in terms of actually – I, to be honest, I don't know how we get our bodies where we do our anatomy dissection class, mm. but we do we do have bodies. We, mm. You yeah. see, because that, that's 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 why I'm mentioning all of this, you know, because yeah. pe- perhaps people who are listening in can consider that, you know, if if you were opting to be cremated, then perhaps you should consider donating your body for medical research. And but also, like with advances in technology and stuff, look, anatomy dissection class will never go. Right. Yes. The reason why we are able to do what we are doing is because of people who've been able to help. But with technology and so forth, um, things are going to change. You're right. Things will change. Dr. Lysander, thank you so, so much. I know an hour to you <laughs> is not easy to give up. I really, really appreciate it. No, it's a pleasure. And I hope whoever's listening in appreciates your time because you are, after all, a very busy woman. You have to rush back now to yeah. hospital and, yeah. you know, get ready for your, your next um, operations this coming Thursday. Thank you so, so much for spending the hour with me. It's a pleasure. My humble opinion. Health authorities and professionals who vaccinate have a moral, if not legal, duty to make parents, guardians, and children fully aware of known risks. It is also imperative that parents, guardians, and children are given advice as to what other options are available to minimize the risk of HPV transmission. This centrally being related to avoiding unprotected sexual encounters. Parents, don't be shy to ask questions. If your questions are dismissed by your medical practitioner, then chances are they don't have your best interest at heart. Better yet, always get a second opinion if your concerns are not addressed. At the end of the day, your child is going to ask you questions about the decisions you have made in relation to their health and well-being. Do your research to better enable you to explain your stance. Parenthood ain't for the faint-hearted, I tell you. Remember, aspire to inspire before you expire. I'm out. This is CliffCentral.com.